0: Welcome to the Course of Action podcast. I am your host for today only, Eric Bishop. Where Where is Jeff Clark, the regular host? Well, he has a book to promote. I'm helping Jeff promote this book. And you know, if he hosted his own podcast to promote his book, it <laughs> might be a little pretentious. So right. I'm going to help Jeff out with this one, and we're going to do a podcast together. How are you today, Jeff?
1: I'm good, man. How are you? I'm great.
0: Welcome to your own podcast. Thanks.
1: Thanks for having
0: me. (laughs) Hey, you're going to still do most of the work. So this is great for me, right? (laughs) I just get to ask some questions for 45 minutes. This is wonderful.
1: Yeah, you get to practice your hosting gig. So when you uh, hopefully get the chance to, you know, question some more authors like you did. uh, What's that one guy you did a while back um, that I watched? I can't remember his name. I don't know who
0: else have I done? I, I did a podcast for a while and then I, I, once a month I do podcasts, um, uh, with, with Jason. So. Yeah. so I do stay a little bit in the mix. Yeah. Um, we've got a couple more lined up, uh, one for June, one for July. So we'll keep that up. We'll keep that going. So, so how does it feel to be on the, uh, I go on the set, I guess on the other side of the, uh, the camera here to be interviewed?
1: Uh, you know, it's cool. Um, a little nervous about how to answer some of these things i normally ask the questions and stuff so this will be uh this will be interesting
0: yeah it's a little bit of a different experience but um i'm fortunate that i, I know what's behind the curtain i know how hard you've worked to get to this spot i know how much effort persistence blood sweat and tears you've put into hear these truths so first of all congratulations oh thank you sir appreciate it um, no matter what occurs this point forward you've done what very few people ever get to do uh you've written a book that's true you've seen it to fruition which some people do put the efforts in and then it just sits in a drawer and nothing ever happens with it uh maybe by their doing or life's doing Mm -hmm. Um, so the fact that you're here and getting to talk about the book is uh um that's a cool moment for you I'm, i'm proud of you i'm happy for you
1: thank you yeah it is it's very humbling too you know it's uh you know, when you think about writing a book it's a pretty you know tall endeavor and then to get yeah. all the way to the process of course you know that very very well um but you know it's just one of those things that you kind of look back on and go i can't believe this is happening like i was, I was signing autograph on these little book <laughs> plates that i made today and i did a 100 of them i was like oh man i mean 100 of them took me a minute of just doing them i was like i can't imagine if i saw thousands of books and i had to autograph all of these like it's a very humbling you know, experience. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So, well, it's uh, it's another validation that all that hard work had a payoff at the end. Um, and your payoff is people are going to be able to read your words. Um, I've been fortunate to do that now. And they're also going to be able to learn something from you, which that brings me kind of to our first question of why, because I know you're a writer. Um, why for your first book, why pursue nonfiction over fiction? What was the the thought process behind that?
1: Well, you know, I I wanted to write fiction. And as a kid growing up, you know, I was very creative. You know, my, my family didn't have a lot of money. So I spent a lot of time outside playing. You know, I made a lot of toys and stuff in my room with old cereal boxes and duct tape and things like that. So, you know, I kept myself really busy. I had a really big imagination. I always told myself when I get to a point in life where I'm done with school, the kids are stabilized I want to do something creative again, whether it's, you know, go back to making some music or getting into some kind of production podcast. I want to do something like that. Mm -hmm. And I read Mike Madden's drone book. And that's when I said, I should write a book. I should write like a fun thriller book Mm -hmm. and just, and just let my imagination run with it because I love spy movies. I love action and all that. Sure. And I kind of started writing some ideas down and developing them, but then I got to a point where work was really ramping up and Mm -hmm. then my wife went to school and we were kind of separated at the time while she was off to school and we were kind of focused on those two you know avenues and I kind of had to table it and then I got so busy with work that I won award after award after award and got recognized Mm -hmm. for my leadership and my you know supervising and all that and I just got to a point where it kind of culminated and I said you know I should really take some of these things that are in my head. And a lot of people that I worked with and that worked for me won a lot of awards. And it was just kind of one of those moments where I said, you know what, I'd be, I'd be, I wouldn't be doing myself some justice. And I'd be leaving a lot of people short if I didn't share some of this knowledge with people, even if it, even if it's just for free, you know? So I said, I'm going to, I told myself before I could write something fun, I'm going to write something necessary, and that's why I wrote
0: the leadership book. I think that's a good quote right there. Before you write something fun, right? write something I should necessary. write that down. You should that, write that. That was well, half, it's Right, it's recorded. That,
1: that was half of my problem writing <laughs> the book was getting out everything out of my head. Yeah onto notes and onto words because I would talk all day long about stuff and I'd have no way of capturing it. And my wife would be like, Hey, that was pretty good. You need to write it down.
0: And I never did. So that was half the battle. Yeah. Um, so you spent 12 years in the air force, 12 years years active duty, right? Um, so how much of this process that it took to get to this how much you know you talk about making notes or man i should i want to be able to remember this did some of these thoughts and ideas did they start early on in your military career or was it later on when you started to you know get older get wiser have a family um did, did a lot of the thoughts or the impetus to put these uh, um steps down did that start later in your career
1: uh, probably a little later. Um, okay. I thought about writing a book. I think it was my last year of active duty. Um, I kind of thought about it, kicked it around, but I was, you know, I was going through the medical board process and there, mm-hmm. you know, that, that was really stressful. So every time I had a chance to sit down and try to work on something, it just, it just never seemed to, you know, work out. So I just didn't push it. And okay. I just, a lot of the book goes back to some of my active duty days Mm-hmm. and things that i learned back then but it really didn't come to fruition until you know the last probably three years was when okay. it really was like okay i need to buckle down and do this
0: and how long have you been out for
1: oh, out? it'll be five years at the end of june okay, five years okay
0: so it was still fairly fresh when you started right you know you've been out for about two years then so it's fairly fresh when you started yeah kind of getting your thoughts together and and then what format did you use as you were thinking through it um uh, for those listening that maybe want to follow in your path, or this, you know, gives them the uh, the motivation to do something similar. How did you organize your your thoughts on leadership and what the book eventually became?
1: Uh, well, first I started with note cards. I just started writing down thoughts in my head yeah. onto note cards, and then um, I started researching different writing platforms because I know me, I'm a very organized person. Mm-hmm. I can't do Microsoft Word. I won't be able to do it. It just, um, it doesn't give me an avenue to quickly go back and look at a different chapter or something. So I just don't, right. I don't like it that much. I've used it for academic papers and stuff like that, but um, I needed a software, like a no joke software where I could dump sure. notes and ideas and everything like that in there. So I just started researching and I finally found a couple of different platforms I'm gonna tried them out and I just picked the one that was, you know, kind of worked best for me and helped me organize myself, you know, taking my thoughts from scribbles to words. Exactly. That was, that was the biggest thing for me is getting organized.
0: You know, yeah. Well, and that's a good, you know, tenet for leadership is being able to be organized. So. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine if I wasn't? <laughs>
0: I would question your leadership ability <laughs> to write <laughs> a book for sure. If you, if you had no if, if it was just a wall of sticky notes and you're like, where do I start? I don't know how to put these together. But,
1: right. You um, wrote a book out of that.
0: Yeah. But it's a daunting task. So, it is. You, you know, for me, I, I use Word. So, but for what I'm doing with a story, um, it lends itself to work that way for me. I, I know other people that it doesn't. Some people write, um You know, Scribner, they use a bunch of different softwares and then they piece it all together at the end. Um, Yeah, this hasn't worked that way. Although the last book I finished, um, I realized I wrote a lot of the, like the last two thirds was, or half was completely out of order. So there was no chapter numbers. It was chapter XX. And I would literally say this with this person happens. And that would be the header and then i wrote the story so when i went back after I'd be like oh this has to go here this so i wish i almost had used something different from word um so I, i'm still editing so i hope it's all in the right order okay right find that's, out why,
1: that's why i like scrivener because you can you can build a chapter and then t- give it like a note title right and then uh, i like it just because i can then go easily reference back to something and if i don't like where it is i could just drag and drop yeah and that's what I did. That's really what I did with that's this. Really film. Once did. I had it loaded into Scrivener, I, I said, oh, that doesn't need to go there. And that needs mm-hmm. to go here. And I was able to move things around. Of course, with a nonfiction, it's a little easier because you don't have to worry about a plot or anything. You're just you're, you're kind of making sure it goes in the sequence that you want to. Right. But um, it was a little easier to put it together and with a scrambled brain like mine trying to look at this and make sense of it.
0: Well, you, you you've got a family, you have a full time job, you've got a lot of things on your plate, so you've got that allocated time, and that's an, my next question actually. So how um, I know for myself the process I followed, but I also know that most people's processes are, are are very different or can be you know generally different. So what was your process from you know not, uh, from from the initial idea? to completion. Did you have a set goal of, I want to spend an hour a day on this or when I get time or weekends, what was your, what was your process like to organize all your, uh, all your sticky notes and note cards and everything?
1: Well, once I got everything kind of built into Scrivener, kind of how, so I could look at it and envision it. That's Mm -hmm. when I really started kind of working on it a little bit at a time. Um, My problem was, and what I had to eventually do was just put everything else to the side. And, you know, I, if I ever meet Jack Carr one day, I'm going to blame him because when he wrote Savage Son, that jump started like kind of that creative process mm-hmm. and I couldn't get, you know, fiction ideas out of my head. Right. So I went through months where I just, I didn't even touch my book and, you know, okay. cause I couldn't get motivated. I couldn't get mm-hmm. in that frame of thought of of leadership and and nonfiction and stuff and just kind of self-help and, and reflecting on my career. I just couldn't get into it because I was just so motivated Um, by, you know, like Savage Son was just a, a it was the book for me that really kind of made me go, Oh, I should definitely try this. Even if it fail, I should definitely try it. Mm-hmm. And um, I just had to put everything away. I mean, I had a stack of books going up. I was still buying them, but I was like, I'm not reading them. Yeah until I get this done. And then when I finally sat down and did it, it took me probably about six months of getting it organized and putting it into a book format. And then that's when I said, this sounds boring. And I kind of had to, I kind of went back to the drawing board and said, they got to take something away from this. And that's what I kind of came up with the algorithm that I have in the book. Um, And that's kind of what, that's when I said, okay, now I've got three parts to the book. Yeah, and that's when I started moving things around a little bit and making sense of it.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, I, I like I've got the table of contents actually printed off right in front of me on this other side. So, yeah, the, the way you broke it down for effort, process and progress. Um, great, great flow, great flow, especially with the subpoints and everything. So um, I realize it took you some time to do it, but I think the uh, I think a to start with the first point effort was well, well done, well done effort. Um, because, uh, well, you can almost follow that logically in this statement, your effort was spot on your process, obviously worked, even though it took you time, that process worked to get you the third point, which is what you have, which is your progress. Mm-hmm. So, your Progress was from beginning to end, you know, take that initial idea of leadership and how do I formulate all these thoughts that have been running through my head probably for years yep. into a um cohesive book that's going to hopefully teach people something and motivate them um hopefully to make changes I think that's you know a lot of times especially something on the non-fiction side um, yeah. you're, you're, um this is definitely much of I, I would definitely consider this a motivational book mm-hmm. um just trying to motivate people to you know just even your chapters, you know, when, you know, under process, you've got to have the daily habits, you got to be deliberate. Um, and then I, I love that you have something on coaching and mentoring. Um, Cause I think so often, um, and this is something definitely I want to probably out of order here, but maybe we can deviate into, into this question of, um, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I know your answer because it's almost understood is leadership is something that is just lacking. It's um, speaking for the United States. I won't speak outside of, you know, our our wheelhouse here but um leadership is lacking and it's not just lacking in one area of society i mean i think it's lacking across the board Uh, from from the top which i would say the top is actually the family units um all the way down to i'd say down level is where you've got the government um just because and you know they should you know shouldn't be or yeah. give them too much credit. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you can't give them credit. I mean, no. if, you look on, should, if you look on the headlines every day, you know. You just hard, say, it gets you harder and
1: harder every day to give them credit for these anything. Are
0: the, <laughs> these are the people we're electing to office? Mm-hmm. Really? Oh, really? It's painful. <laughs> it is painful. But the positive on that, and there and I, I think you're uh, like me, uh, your glass is half full. The glass is not half empty. Um, is change starts within. And when it comes to leadership, leadership, um, once you understand the concepts behind that you've spelled out here in your book, leadership starts within as well. And if you take those truths, if you hear these truths and you learn and you're able to then go out there and teach others and you're able to display these leadership characteristics, that's how change occurs. Change doesn't occur by looking up to, a political figure, a celebrity, uh, whoever might be, um, yeah. or an author, um, change occurs when you yourself make, uh, your leadership and, you know, really happens from one person going out to the others and affecting change, change yourself, teach others, and hopefully those truths will, um, will resonate and then they can replicate that same process. Yeah. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah, I think it was it's really, really important to um, and it was one of the kind of the turning moments in my career was realizing um, I was only going to be better for people if I worked on myself as well. Not necessarily first. I mean, some people would argue you need to work on yourself first before you can work on others. But I kind of took it as, you know, maybe not first, but I definitely have to prioritize it. I definitely have to work on myself. Um, and I have to kind of walk the walk and talk the talk because mm-hmm. the easiest way to lose credit, you know, and look at our world we live in right now is, you know, people who are quote unquote leaders stand up there and say one thing, then do another, and then nobody right. respects them. Well, the, it goes for leadership at every level, down to the you know supervisor at the Seven Eleven. You know, if, yep. <laughs> if he says one thing and does another, his workers are going to be like, I'm not going to do that. You exactly. know, so. It's, uh, it's important to work on yourself while you're doing anything because you can't turn around and tell people. Well, I mean, even, even me and you as, as fathers, you know, mm-hmm. um, we got to work on ourselves and be better ourselves. Because if we tell our kids one thing and then we go do another, they're going to be like, well, what am I listening to this guy for? Right. You know, it doesn't make sense. So it's, it's just important to work on yourself.
0: You have a lot of quotes interwoven within your uh, pages. Um, some of them More are quotes. anonymous many of them are attributed. Um, so as I was going through the book, I, I bought a dozen or so that I made notes on. Um, and it kind of just relates to what we were just talking about here is um, truth. Tr- you know, what is what is truth? Um, and so this quote, which I think is great, it's the first one I wrote down, is and it's early in the book, because they did go down in, in sequential order, but truth exists, falsehoods have to be invented. Um, mm. So talk a little bit about that. Talk about how you got to the point of realizing that there was some truths, which leadership is a truth. Um, and, you know, discovering that truth and then putting it down so others can learn from that truth and, and, and which, which ones kind of resonated with you um, in the process that were important enough to, to really form the backbone of your, of your novel, of your, of your story.
1: Well, uh, I'll, I'll give you a little, little secret. Um, some of the ones that are anonymous were actually me. I just there didn't give myself credit for it. Um, cause Nothing I felt wrong. like, I felt that was a little, you know, egotistical, but I didn't yeah. want to leave it out. Sure. So I was like, I'll just put anonymous and my publisher was like, who said that? And I was like, well, I did, but I don't want to put my name by it. And they're like, you should. And I was like, my name's already on the cover. Like, yeah, <laughs> I can. I was I like, how know. about, how about I just put anonymous? And cause I had a couple of other quotes that I found and then I couldn't refine again. So I couldn't give the proper person credit because I couldn't find it again. So I just put anonymous and hopefully, you know, it'll work out. But, um, I did a lot of research on the quotes. I had a lot of research or had a lot of quotes written down, um, and stuff that I wanted to talk about. So I tried to just strategically place them when I was trying to drive home a point of emphasis. Yeah. Um, and when it comes to the falsehoods, the reason why I put that in here is because a lot of times as individuals will say, I'm doing a good job, right? I'm doing mm-hmm. a good job. That's a truth that we're telling ourselves that we made up right, to make us feel better. Cause we're protecting ourselves right. from the, the real truth, which is no, you're not doing a good job. You're screwing up. This mm-hmm. isn't working, you know? And, I look at politicians and I say that's, that's, that's the label. They should put that on every single office door in Congress, you know, because <laughs> they say we're doing a good job. Look at the economy. It's, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's this or that. We're doing a good job. And it's just a falsehood that you told yourself to make yourself feel better. It's not the truth, but you yeah. call it the truth. Cause you say, well, I'm being honest with myself. You know, I'm doing a pretty good job. Mm-hmm. So that was a, that was important to me to put that in there because that was a key, kind of a key turning point in my career was understanding. I was telling myself I was doing a good job, but, you know, sometimes it just wasn't really a good job, mm-hmm. you know, or or people around me weren't doing a good job. And I was like, well, how can I say I'm doing a good job if my my workers aren't doing a good job? I'm not right. really doing a good job. I'm doing a mediocre job and I'm allowing them to be below average. Mm-hmm. Right? And I'm saying this is a good job. So that was really, really important to kind of put in there to kind of, you know, get going from the get go is, Hey, watch out for that because we'll, we will lie to ourselves.
0: Sure. Absolutely. Well, everyone wants affirmation. They want affirmation either um, from the outside or from themselves that you are doing a good job or you are on the right path. Um, And and circling back to what you had said earlier, how, you know, you have to, change yourself a lot of times, so, you know, change starts within, you have to change yourself first. And again, I agree. A lot of times people think, well, I have to change and and, and achieve this certain level before I can help anyone else, which I don't think is very true only because we're going to continue to change our whole life. We're going to continue to learn our whole life. And you know, it, it, your book is a great way to teach leadership. It's not something you're going to learn though, by reading a book because there's no way you're going to make all those necessary changes Oh yeah, no. Immediately, and if you did, they probably wouldn't stick. So they're lessons you're going to learn, and a lot of times they're lessons. You know, it's it's like with anything in life. You you know, fall down six, get up seven. You know, yeah. you're going to stumble and you're going to fall. And um, I think there's a quote in here about. Um, I thought you had one here about yes. Here we go. One of the last ones I put down. Failure is not the opposite of success. It's part of success. And and I think a lot of times people have this idea that well you know, yourself, other people out there. Well, if you've written a book, you know, you've done all these successful things. Whoa, whoa, whoa hold on. To get to a level of success normally takes quite a lot of failure.
1: Sure, and, I mean, I got you know, told no on this book several times. Yeah. And I got flat out told no from a agent who said, I love the idea. I love the premise. I love the idea of it. I love your words. You don't have enough Twitter followers. And I was like, are you kidding me? That was, he's like, you're not going to sell a nonfiction unless you have a huge following. I was like, well, I'm not going to have a huge following, you know, if I don't have something for people to follow. Exactly. Like social media is not it. So right. that was very humbling, but at the same time, that was a huge failure that really kind of opened my eyes to things and made me realize this is a different monster than I thought it was.
0: Mm-hmm. Kind of sh- also shows where, The market is now where they put so much emphasis on you not necessarily writing the best book, but you marketing the book that you write more so than that. And, and, you know, so quantity has overtaken quality a lot of times. Sure. um, Which is kind of a sad, you know, it's sad, but it's probably also a good um, summarization of society now where, you know, mediocrity, I mean, not to, hurt people's feelings but how often do you hear about participation trophies now oh yeah you get get a trophy if you participated i mean i played soccer when i was a kid um i believe we even had a few every now and then some of the leagues were in did give out just participation trophies it didn't it was exciting to get something as a kid but when you looked at it and said you participated it didn't mean anything versus one year they actually had a tournament i think i was in probably sixth grade had a tournament in our soccer team in my local, in my County, we won and we built, we had some pretty good teams and we got first place ribbon. We got a little, you know, gold ribbon, on you know, gold medal on the end of the ribbon. Yeah. yeah, That's one still in my box. I still kept that one. That one meant something for a while because I remember what it took to get there. And it wasn't that we just tried. It's that we succeeded. Yeah. Um, And I think all, all too often in society now, uh, success and success isn't the end all be all of course not but those people that get to a successful level are then almost targeted um yeah look at all the people that didn't make it we need to give them attention well sure we don't want to ignore anyone because trying to achieve a goal is very important but that person that put in all the effort and succeeded they do get their due and it's not you know you can't give participation trophies out for everything
1: Yeah. I mean, and who's to say that the people that have had massive success and they're at the top of their game haven't reached back and done some assistance with people who needed help coming up as well. You just don't see it because a lot of people don't brag about it. I mean, I don't I don't brag about some of the things I've done for other people. I don't go on social media and say, hey, just edited this guy's couple of chapters and told him some plot points and some things like that or. I coached this guy for three hours on leadership today. I just just don't brag about it, you know? Um, And I'm sure the the bigger authors and the bigger influencers of the world um, don't necessarily do that either, you know? They just don't brag about it.
0: Yeah, no, I've had some assistance from some people that i put on the, you know, on the upper echelon there of publishing that have been helpful to me, um, encouraging to me, even not necessarily a lot of time, but just words of encouragement, advice. Um, early in the process when I was trying to get an agent, I had a handful of ones um, recommend me to their agent. Um, So even though it maybe didn't get anything, it got my name out there. And just that small step to me meant a lot. Did they have to do that? No, they didn't have to do that, but they chose to do it. Um, Because I I tend to think too, and I've said this in some of the interviews I've done and, and been on this last year with my book, is that at least for authors, I can't speak for musicians or art artists, other creative folks out there, but um, just being that I've been writing as long as I have and interacting with authors as long as I have, most people that achieve any level of success in writing, it's rarely their first gig. Normally they've, you know, they had a, a corporate job or they were a lawyer or a doctor or whatever it might be, or military for years, but they, they've, they've had to achieve something and writing was always something they had a passion for, maybe did all along, but they didn't actually normally become a successful writer until later in their life, you know, yeah. past, past forties is pretty common. Um, I know quite a lot of authors that their first books came out in their forties. Um, and then they still did, might not have got a success until book four or five or six came out. Um, but later on, but, and I think when that occurs at a later age, you um, there's a maturity there. And there's also an appreciation yeah. that even if you get a lot of money, you get notoriety and all that, you really do remember what it was like to struggle. You do really remember what it was like to have trouble paying all your bills. And you do take, uh, hopefully sympathy stays with you to realize that person that has contacted you, that's in that you know space, headspace right now. Um, I know where they are and I can give them some encouragement because let them know that if you keep working hard, you can achieve success.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Because it's not a, um, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon.
0: It is a marathon. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so what has the process been like for you after finishing the book and talk a little bit about what it's been like to get to delivery? Um, just kind of the, uh, you know, the the pros and cons, maybe what you faced, Uh, some of the lessons maybe you've learned in the process.
1: So once I turned it over and I got an editor and we were kind of working through that process, that was kind of like the, and not to, you know, throw my publisher under the bus or anything like that, but just to be kind of transparent, that was kind of the last major thing I did. Mm -hmm. You know, once you edit it and you look it over and you go, okay, it's done. That's the, last big milestone that i had and i'm sure it's kind of like that for a lot of other authors too Mm -hmm. um the next big thing was the was the cover but i already kind of talked to them about what i wanted and what i you know what they kind of knew what to do Mm -hmm. um that was that happened in a matter of days once it finally got with the uh the graphic designer so that was that wasn't that in involved but um after that you kind of like okay so what's next and they go oh well we're going to do this and we're going to do that and it's really kind of the balls in our court now right so i was kind of like well i got to just keep cranking away at social media um you know i got to get a release date i got to get some buzz going and all that because now my my job is to scream to the high heavens that it's coming mm-hmm. their job is to deliver it so right. um I think the biggest thing I learned in this process was to not hold on tight to anything Mm. because it could change and not that, you know, publishers out to get you or they're, they want to change it for the sake of changing, but for them, it's an investment. So they're going to change things to a point where they think the investment is going to pay out and it's going to be maximum successful. And you need to just be kind of conscious of that. And if for you, a book, and you know this, You know the book is your baby. You turn it in, you go, this is my product. I'm proud of it. I want to see this happen. And they go, hold on. <laughs> uh, you know, because I, I held tight to April release day. I was like, no, I want it in April. Right. I want it in April. I want it in April. I do not want to land in the middle of the summer when all these other books are coming out and right. all these other genres and people are on vacation and all that stuff. And my publisher was like, Trust us. It'll go better if you're in the middle of all of it because then you can get caught up in all of it. And they had their reasons and I trusted them. And Mm -hmm. um, I think the biggest thing is just understanding that, you know, once you turn it over, a lot can change and you need to pick, pick your battles and decide what you're going to stand firm on and what you're going to trust. And just remember that as long as it's moving forward, you know, you've got something going, so don't do something stupid to you know delay the process just keep going with and let the momentum ride.
0: Yeah. Well, you can you can own in the process you can only do what you can do. Absolutely. It, it, it's kind of like you only know what you know. <laughs> um and you have to at some point like like you said and I agree because I've been through the process. It's your baby, you've put all this effort into it, but at some point it it's not your baby anymore. Some point yep. you hand it off to the publisher, there's you know no more changes are going to take place. You've got a release date. And you have to make peace with the fact that that book's gonna go out there. Any typos, any warts in there, it's over. It is, it is what it is. Yeah. And your words are out there forever. Um, and you gotta be okay with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or you probably won't do it again if it bothers you that bad. But, yeah. Um, I found for myself, I found how that was an obstacle mentally for me. And then I, I, it was crazy how quickly my brain transitioned and then just didn't care anymore. Um, yeah. It's just you're on to the next one. And um, I mean, for myself, I've never opened the book since it came out. I mean, I've opened it, I guess, but I've never read it. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I will read it. I've used it uh, a bunch of times, the digital version to look for things as I was writing the next book. It's like, sure. how did I spell this name or did I have this character here? So I've referenced back, but I've never actually read like more than a paragraph um, at a time mm-hmm. of going back to the story. And I think mentally I just told myself, okay, this is it, it's done, it's out there. Yeah, for better or worse, what's next? And I, and I think that's something that you have to get to that place if you wanna actually make a career out of this. Yeah. Um, so, so bringing this back though to leadership, because that's, that's what your, your book is about. And, and, and again, this, it's actually a good segue because it takes a leader to realize what works, what doesn't work and be able to pivot and transition, um, to whatever, whatever's coming next. And also to, you know, to instill whatever that is, um, to those that are under them. So, Let's go back to part one of the book. Let's go back to effort. Um, talk about the um, empowerment and confidence that—that's um, th- one of the points that you know kind of stuck out to me as I was going through stuff. Um, so can you, you know, without throwing you on the spot, but um, talk about how leadership can really empower and give those under them confidence in what they're doing, no matter what the what the role might be.
1: Well. When you're in a position, people look at you as a leader, regardless of what position that might be the littlest things you do can make or break people. Mm -hmm. And it might be the simplest thing, you know, on a Monday morning coming in and just saying first 20 minutes of the day is saying, Hey Eric, how you doing, man? How did little Johnny's soccer game go? Mm -hmm. You know, it just shows that you care and that could change somebody's entire Monday, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Another part of it is if, if they're if you're if you have an employee who's owns a program and their job is to do this program and they ask you questions about it, you just say, Listen, this is your program. Own it. I trust you. Yeah. If I have an issue with it, I'll say something. Other than that, you're the you're an expert. I trust you go do your job and do it well. Cause I know you're going to, mm-hmm. and it's just giving them that empowerment, which kind of gives them the confidence too, to say, listen, and I, and I kind of put that in there. Cause I had an employee a long time ago, constantly came to me and asked for questions. I'm like, I don't know. I do not know the answer to this stuff you do mm-hmm. because
0: you do. You, we it's, hired you to do this
1: specific right. job. This is your role. And it was like, I had to get this person past that to understand that. Listen, if I see something wrong, I'll stop you before you mm-hmm. you, hit, you 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 hit do the train wreck, <laughs> okay? I promise. Mm-hmm. But f- I just need you full speed down the track. I hired you to do this job because you're an expert in this job. I expect you to go do it. Now go do it. Go do it and own it. You're not going to hear anything from me until we have to start talking. But other than that, you don't have to ask me for permission to do your job. I expect you to go do it.
0: Right. Well, I think that's a good leadership skill is not um, and you definitely see it in cor- I, I'm, my experience is corporate America. Of course, I didn't serve in the military, but um, the micromanagement um, it's like that, that
1: in the military. It gets micromanaged.
0: And I'm, and I'm sure you see both. I would assume you see both. You see you do. You see leadership out there that micromanages and you probably see leadership that's like, hey, as long as you do your job and the crap doesn't roll downhill and hit me. Yes, I don't care. I've seen them both. <laughs> I have seen both is there a leaning more towards one or the other or just it's kind of a hit or miss on what you're going to have, what you're going to find.
1: I I would say in my experience, I'm speaking just from my experience, I've seen more of the extreme on the micromanaged side than I have on the so careless side. I've seen a handful of people who are like, so hands off, that they were only concerned about if they got in trouble or not, think, everything yeah. else could roll. They didn't, like I've only seen that a handful of times, but I've seen several micromanagers that were to the point where I was like, you're actually impeding progress. You,
0: you, you're, yeah. You're slowing things down by being that way. No, that yeah. totally, uh, totally makes sense. Um, so which, that brings us to one of the quotes out there that I think I, in some ways uh, relates to micromanagement and just, you know, letting people do their job is, and this was another one, this is more towards the middle, um, middle of the book probably, but the loudest voice in the room is seldom the wisest. Um, So talk with us about what it takes for leadership to take that step back. And, you know, again, I think a lot of times being the vocal one or, telling everyone what to do and then riding them gets more negative um, effects out of it than anything positive.
1: Well, when you're constantly riding people, they're constantly looking over their shoulder for you. Right. So then their eyes aren't front paying attention and focusing on the task at hand. So when you're a leader and you say, okay, all eyes on me, I expect you guys to do your job. You guys are smart people to do your job. I want you to do it like this. I have full confidence. Mm-hmm. Now go forth. I'll go forth. And then you point them back in their direction and say, now go do it. And I mean, it's, I made it sound super simple, but I've had some great commanders who did just that and said, I'm not writing you about anything. You guys know the expectation. You know the standards. You know what I want. Um, you're the experts. Now go do it. I'm here to, you know, protect you to keep the BS away from you so you can do your job. That's my job as the leader. My job is to stand at the front door and say, you're not getting in. My folks are busy, you know? So that was kind of like the loudest voice in the room is not the smartest person. They're just the loudest. They just like to talk. Most of the times they like to talk to hear themselves talk or whatever it may be. But the one who sits in the corner and says, ABC no go is oftentimes, you know, and that's what they say about introverts. Oh, well, people who are introverts aren't smart people. They're, you know, they just don't want to talk. They hate the world and all that. That's wrong. That's mm-hmm. absolutely wrong. Mm-hmm. You know? So I put that in there to make a very, very solid point of you can talk all you want to, but if nobody wants to hear you, you can be as loud as you want. And they still want to hear you.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, no, I, I think that's, I think that's spot on. Um, what was probably the best or the biggest leadership um lesson that you learned during those 12 years of active duty. Was there one thing that stood out more than more than others, maybe?
1: Oh man, that's a good one. Um I think I wrote about this in a book and now I can't think about what I said. But um
0: <laughs> I'm not holding you to what
1: <laughs> right? You're not referencing pages. No, <laughs> well, I just got
0: a list of questions. Um I do have some chapters written down though.
1: <laughs> I would say Maybe the biggest lesson was that um I was responsible for everything even if I didn't know about it. Even if <laughs> you know, um and that was a lesson that like people who are in charge, you know, they say people are in charge and they take charge. That's yeah, that's true. Yeah, absolutely right. it's true. However, you know, things can still go on. And the military is a little different just because we're When you're a military supervisor, you're in charge of a lot more than just work. You're in charge of like what they do outside of time and stuff like that. Right. So, but it kind of goes both ways. You know, if they're screwing something up at work and you didn't know about it, your head's still on the chopping block. Mm -hmm. And I finally realized I could lead people better by going to the chopping block with them instead of hammering them when they did something wrong. Gotcha. And I got in trouble for it.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Instead, it was like, go into the hole you know you get more flies with honey than you do with vinegar Mm -hmm. say hey listen man the next time something like this happens let me know and we'll battle through this together as opposed to saying the next time you screw this up i'm gonna have your ass you know and it was it just it made more sense that way and then it was like listen once you prove to people that you're willing to put your head on the grindstone uh, with them Things change, and then they they learn to trust you and understand what you are going to do for them as a leader. Absolutely. So that was probably my biggest thing that I ever learned with leading people and getting them to do what I wanted or getting them to do things better or is yeah. to is to take their side, mm-hmm. you know, and say if you screw up, we screwed up, and that's where I think I put in the book. You know, it's one of my best quotes I think I've ever said. I actually wrote this one down: was don't let we be a hollow word.
0: Oh, that is a good one. And I don't have the one, that one written down. I was going to say, I've got two that totally tied into what you were just talking about. One okay. of them is leadership is action, not position. So the, yep. the, the leader really is doing something, not just having the position of being over someone. They're actually out there actively doing it. And which then tied into what you just basically said is responsibility is accepting that you are the cause and the solution of the matter um i think all too often you know and it's probably not new to society or new to culture but um you know people are always willing to point the finger and say oh yeah you know this is the problem we do it now even like well government's the problem okay well if government really is the problem what is government government is made up of ordinary citizens that were um put into power you, you might say that we didn't elect some of them sure Maybe maybe there's another power to be, but whatever. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The the bottom line is those ordinary citizens were put in there. So if there's a problem, if they're not doing what they were elected to do, well, is it up to them to reach that euphoria moment of, I'm not doing what I should? I'm, you know, I'm just stealing money or doing whatever. Yeah. Well, it's up to who we the people yeah
1: we put them there we gotta vote them out we we have to make the change because like you said the light bulb's not just gonna kick on one day and they'll go you know what i should be a better senator today
0: yeah.
1: uh, <laughs> i don't think that's how it works at all yeah i don't, I don't <laughs> think
0: it's ever worked that way and i don't think it will no. ever work that way uh, no, You're right. definitely not a you know people are flawed people people are selfish people absolutely um I think at the end of the day, people are good and people are kind. Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately, we don't always put those people or those people don't always ascend to the top roles.
1: Well, you know what I think about that is um, I agree with you, but I think the people who this is how I view politics, because my brother-in-law told me like three years ago, he's like, you really should run for office, even if it's just in the city. You know, mm-hmm. you you would be a huge, huge game changer. Like you would be perfect for it to do things right. Right. And I said, here's the reason why I won't do it. And I'll right. never get into politics. Right. Because the people who have pure intentions know they can be more effective in everyday life with everyday people than they can be sitting on something. Then they can. Right. So I'll never run for politics or run for office or anything like that because I know conversations like this with you and other people are going to do way more help than me going to Washington and becoming another number.
0: They are. I agree with that statement, too. However, I also do think that, but then who is going to serve? And I think that's sometimes why a lot of times the people that get in there are not the ones with the purest intentions. Um, Yeah it's It's a a, double-edged sword it's a total double-edged sword so I was um today I was working and after work went for a walk and one of the things I was listened to um I frequently listen to podcasts and I think it popped up on Instagram I saw it that uh lot Jack Carr is obviously on a lot this week because his books uh in the blood just came out today um uh Texas representative uh Dan Crenshaw is it Crenshaw yep Crenshaw um interviewed Jack and so they were talking about that. And that was one of the questions he asked to Jack was, are you gonna run for, office? you should run for office. And Jack says, I get that all the time. And my answer is no, I will never run. Um, and then Dan though countered with a good point of like, that's why you are the type of person that needs to run. He said, we need more people in there that feel like they shouldn't. So, um, but it's a hard, you know, it's it's a very difficult predicament we find ourselves in um, because you want good people to run, but good people a lot of times don't want to subject themselves to just the, I mean, the personal tax and there, it's nothing oh, new. Yeah. Oh, I, I've yeah. studied a lot. I've studied history a lot. And I think sometimes people falsely think right now of it's so bad right now. It used to be so great. It's like, you realize they used to have duels and shoot each other. You yeah. know, there are, there <laughs> were some, you know, if you look at history of what occurred, um, you know, and they started nasty pamphlets, you know, by the second election, by, by, by early in the second and third presidency, there was mud starting to be slung. Uh, I think the difference now is societies, we have so many more tools available to us. Um, these things here have allowed us to uh, lie with impunity because oh, yeah. anyone can be a subject matter expert. And very yes. few, myself included, are a subject matter expert in anything, but they can have a platform and act like they are and sure. enough people will follow and say, Oh, I Eric just said this. It's gotta be true. You might want to check that out and make sure that's true.
1: Yeah. Um, well, and you know the moral dilemma that I've always had was being a public servant is supposed to be, especially being in the military, you know, you working for the people, you know, protecting freedom is it's a selfless job. It's not, there's no room for selfish people there. That's the whole point of it is for you to go do something on behalf of others, but it's become, and I'm talking about politics. um, It's become such a selfish thing that unselfish people, they're turned off to it. Why would I go, why would I go succumb myself to that kind of attention? Right. Even, even the mayor of a small town. Yeah. I mean, you could point, you could paint the lines in city halls parking lot wrong and you're going to get complaints
0: and you're getting complaints. exactly. And, and you
1: t- you may not even have known that today was the day they were painting new lines, <laughs> right. but it's your fault. Yeah. And it's just like, why would I do that to myself and to my life and to my family? Because it's become such a monster. Mm-hmm. And, and to your point, you know, it's been like that, but you know, with social media now, you know, Joe Biden barely gets off the podium and he's already on social media and they're poking fun at him. Yeah. You know, exactly. so it happens that fast. So it's yeah. one of those. And that's a part of being a leader too. I mean, I've had people say things behind my back. I know I have, mm-hmm. um, you know, and you gotta have a little bit of thick skin, but some, it gets to a point sometimes where you're like, this is unnecessary. Right. It really is unnecessary. If you don't like it, just, just keep your mouth shut, you know, and like on book reviews, I mean, you know, uh, I see people write book reviews all the time. And like I give it one star because the corner was bent. Like, what? If you have nothing good to say, keep your mouth shut. I, I,
0: um, saw, I saw someone posted that recently on Twitter. That, that Someone got a book review that said that. And they yeah. were the, the author was going to send them a new uh, a copy out. Um, it's like, well, the author had nothing to do. Yeah. What, from Amazon? Right
1: now, as the author, I got to make it right now because somebody else shipped it and it bent the corner. And now you're mad and give me a one-star review. I know. Because people don't realize the the reviews don't hurt Amazon, they no, don't hurt no. Amazon at all. It hurts the, the the author who published it. It hurts them big time. But you know, it's just the world has become that today, and it's just like as a leader, that's kind of some of the things you have to deal with. And yeah, um you know, well, it I is what that,
0: it is. That circles back to what your book is about: that we need more leadership, and the yeah. leadership is not again it. I think people falsely think, well, leadership means you have someone up here that tells everyone what to do. And we follow that leader. Uh-uh. Everyone can be a leader. Everyone yeah. not only can be, everyone has to be a leader. Now your leadership um, might not have anyone under it. It's like in a, in, in a corporation, or whatever, or in a yeah. company or military, or whatever, but you can still be a leader. And if everyone followed principles that are in here, that are in here, these truths, um, they'll be of an effective leader. Mm-hmm. And, more people doing that, that's what helps society. That's what helps change. Um, and that's where we I, I want to be optimistic and say we can go that direction, but it's a direction we've not been going for years. And yeah, somehow it needs to change. Um I,
1: I think it got exposed a little bit, and not to keep talking politics, but you know, you know, when when Donald Trump became president, he became president because he could, not because he had to. You Mm -hmm. know, for a lot of politicians, the presidency is that last feather in the cap. Right. But for him, he was like, I'm already rich. I already got money. I don't need to do this. I want to do this. And it kind of exposed the political platform and the system Mm -hmm. and how even his own party kind of fought it a little bit. And it was like, listen, I'm doing this because things need to change. We need to drain the swamp is what he said. You know, he said all those catchphrases and all that. But you know, there was a lot of truth to what he had to say, and you know, as a leader, sometimes you have to just take the gunshots. Yeah. You just have to, and it sucks. But at the same time, are you doing it for the greater good, for the right reasons? And I'm not by no means am I saying that Donald Trump is a saint or anything like that. So don't want anybody listening to get that <laughs> confused or anything. But what I, I'm I'm using it as a matter of fact because. Sure. After his four years, we went right back to the same old political games, you know? So what what is the intention of those people in those positions? And yeah. to you, to your point, you can be a leader at any level because you can have discussions like this with a whole group of people who make way more impact than Joe Biden's press conference
0: he had this morning. Sure. I, I, I completely – well, and I think too is – uh, we'll get off the subject of politics after this uh, – I'll at least stop saying anything about politics after this is that it's become an occupation. So I do think years ago, it was a service to the people. Did Mm -hmm. people manipulate it? Did people do it for their own good? Absolutely. But I think now it's become an occupation. And so
1: it's a retirement plan.
0: Yeah, it is. And I don't know that we'll ever see term limits in my, my lifetime, but I think that would solve a lot of the problem. If you know, you've been in Congress for two terms, four years, Boy, you don't have a gravy train for the next 34 years of your life. If you can be a senator for one term, six years, you know, we've got it for the presidency. Um, and I don't know how and why we don't have it for the other. I know how we could and why we don't. Yeah.
1: Currently <laughs> have it.
0: But um, but I think when it's not a job, when it is something you're going in there to try to help. I think the mindset completely changes yep. um, when it becomes a, I'm gonna get like you said, the gravy train. When you know you can get in there and you're gonna get healthcare and you're gonna get a pension and you're gonna make more money out of office than you ever made probably before you went in office. Um, and that just, you're in for the wrong intentions though. I mean, you know, years ago, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> that the founding fathers had jobs, many of them. Many of them had, had jobs, had farms, you know, totally different society back then but going to washington was not their primary occupation that you know congressmen and senators went in they met for small short sessions they voted on stuff and then went back to work um, yeah. and, you know, plenty of them were well-to-do aristocratic for the time i, I understand that concept but that wasn't their full time they didn't live in dc for their you know all year long which right. now circling back even to what we were saying before about the, how difficult and why people don't want to serve uh, because you're 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 full-time job basically you're in DC and you're bouncing back home to your home district and then you're going out and campaigning and then you're helping other people campaign so Mm -hmm. it's not conducive to having a family it's not conducive to any stable kind of structured life um it's very I'd say it's very chaotic existence oh Uh, yeah
1: I can imagine doing it you know full-time like I know like here in Oklahoma, there's some, there's some very small towns and those mayors are, are, they're just the elected individual. They don't even get paid. They
0: don't get paid. You know,
1: they're just doing it because somebody has to hold the position, you know, and, um, you know, bigger cities, obviously it's become an occupation. It's become a stepping stone, you know, you know, mayor, governor, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then you move up, but yeah. um, Constitutional
0: amendment, pay these jokers $1 a year. From that's every elected saying. office, I bet you will see some turnover. Oh well, yeah, don't even need yeah. To, don't need term limits anymore. Just agree to pay them yeah. only a dollar.
1: Yeah, <laughs> or hey, you can't invest in anything that you maybe have a say in at all.
0: I don't know how that's None. possible. I you don't know. either. I can't how do it
1: as as an employee of the government. There's certain things that I cannot invest in. I believe it. Yeah, I had to sign papers. They yeah. said it. I have to file a. Like it's a declaration of investments every year because I work mm-hmm. in I work around contracts to make sure that I'm not investing into any of the contracted companies or they're off or so subcontractors and things like that. I have to declare that every year.
0: Yeah.
1: I can't, I, if I get caught, I could lose my job. But
0: these my guys manager, are my job, I'm a financial analysts for a corp for a large corporation. And so because of the numbers I have access to, even though I don't see them for a company the access level I have, I'm considered an officer. So I do obviously buy company stock and I have blackout windows every quarter where I go anywhere from three to six to seven weeks where I can't sell anything. Um, So I might be, I can be having stock come out of my paycheck and purchasing stock. It just sits in the account. I can't sell it because it's considered blackout period and because I have insider information. Okay. I have to wait to end of that, which... What I found, I think this is a big conspiracy we need to research. I found that typically when I get my stock in my account, within a couple of weeks, the market keeps rising up and then it drops down right before selling period. Hey, you know,
1: it sounds far-fetched, but it probably isn't.
0: (laughs) Someone's screwing me over, Jeff. I don't know who it is. Well, hey, um, let's wrap this up with a question that hopefully I think you're prepared for. But talk about the leadership algorithm um, that you wrote about in this book. So I think that's, I think that's something that people, uh, can, can really learn, learn from.
1: So I'll tell you real quick how I came up with it because, um, I wrote the book and I was reading through the book and I was like, this is boring. This is just some guy thumping his chest and saying, mm-hmm. Hey, if, if I did it, you can too. I was like, nobody's going to take away anything from this. And I just sat around for, I, I think it was probably days. Um, right. And I didn't have the subtitle to the book. I just had here hear these truths. That's it. That's all okay. I had. I couldn't think of a subtitle. My publisher was like, you have to have a subtitle. It kind of, sounds kind of stupid if you don't. I was <laughs> like, okay. I had all these different ideas written down. And then I had, I had algorithm written down for some reason. I was like, what the heck did I write that down for? And I, I looked it up to see what, what the heck is the algorithm? Why did they write it down? And then I saw that it was an input into a process and it gets an output. And mm-hmm. I thought, holy crap. That is so smart, and that's when it just kind of clicked to me. I but said your
0: subconscious was at work the whole yeah. time. You well, so just didn't the,
1: realize it. So leadership is kind of like an algorithm. You're going to put things into processes, and you're going to get an output. That output might not be ideal, but you still have to deal with it. Be right, exactly. So that's when I just I just molded that around, and I finally found you know. You, you put in all these efforts and there's all these different processes and then you get progress and it, it doesn't stop at progress. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was like, that's it. Effort plus process equals progress. And I said, and that's when I broke the book down. That's when I started reorganizing and moving stuff around. And that's when I had this three sections of the book. And I said, these are the things that ideally if you focus on these and then start over and you keep working on all three of these, because you're always going to get progress out of something, even right. if it's, bad progress. You still have to do something with bad progress. You can't just walk away from it. Mm-hmm. And be Like, oh, well, that sucks, so we're just going to forget about it. Well, you wasted all this time and all this money. You still have to answer to it. Yeah. So that was a really big part, and that's something I I don't think I've really seen in a leadership book, and I've read quite a few of them, mm-hmm. was what to do with success. And what is success? What is bad yeah. success? What is good success? What are you doing with it? Mm-hmm. Or are you just having birthday cake and saying, yeah, we won, you know, <laughs> so um, that was a big point that I wanted to do. And that's when that's when it changed. When I came up with the algorithm, that's when the voice of the book really changed. And that's when it was something I was proud of, because at first I was like, oh, man, I don't, I don't I can't I can't brag about this. I can't mm-hmm. talk about this. It just it sounded more like my life story and my my do's and my don'ts than it did anything else. It took on a life then.
0: Absolutely. Well, I can. I definitely. I could. I could see how it took on a to life, just of how you put it together. So, and I, I don't have. I've got this version right here. So yeah, you have the electronic have, version.
1: You have the first e-copy that first, anybody that, has. That is an honor. <laughs>
0: that is an honor to have the first e-copy. So um, I, I didn't
1: I, even have it. I found it on a folder, and I said, <laughs> "Oh, well, I can send this to people." <laughs>
0: well, I didn't even have a Kindle until when did I buy this thing? Um, October. Yeah, I actually so, What's that?
1: I got one for Christmas and I've been using it a little bit on some books and it's okay.
0: The, so I, I will say from a purely selfish standpoint, the only reason I bought one, uh, first of all, I was tired of getting books sent to people. People send me a book and it would be, I read it on my phone, which was horrific. Um, but when my book came out for pre-order um, I think it, I think pre-order started in July of 2021, last July. I, I, the publisher sent me the link and said, okay, pre-orders are up. I clicked the link as soon as I got the email and I bought the first copy. Well, yeah. I realized I don't want to open this thing on my phone. I'm gonna to have to buy an e-reader so I can have a copy of my own book. I never even opened it. Well, I think I loaded it on my Kindle. I never read it. <laughs> um, but then I'm like, well, I can actually use this now when people send me books. I can. It's much better to read it like this versus this thing. So yeah, that's tough. <laughs> it's, it serves a much better purpose. But well. I hope everyone goes out. We'll have a print printed off copy here very soon soon after we have this interview filmed. But um hope everyone goes out and get a copies of this book. Um, leadership is something severely lacking. and Jeff Clark has put together um, a very concise and well laid out leadership book that you need a copy of and others that you know need a copy of. So
1: yes, yeah, buy off. buy them in twos
0: buy them it's buy them, and pay them. <laughs> yeah buy one for yourself and give one away absolutely um, there's nothing wrong with promoting it that way either um <laughs> so. well, oh, Jeff, brother thank-, thank
1: you so much for doing this um I can't thank you enough is a great idea is a great way to kind of turn the tide on things and obviously yeah. we're gonna we're gonna do this again when breach of trust is getting close to you know fruition so i can help push that And of course i'm a huge fan anyway i appreciate um, that you, but, you, um, you probably
0: will get an early copy and see if there's a see if i know what i'm doing a second time you know, it's, <laughs> it's always the you have your whole life to write that first well it wasn't the first one i wrote but you have your whole life to write that first one it's getting published um, yeah, and then I'm you gotta do it for, again um, for the next one. <laughs> and yeah. then you're like, do I really know what I'm doing here? And, um, mm-hmm. I, I think yes, but, uh, at some I'm point sure. it'll be the same thing you're, you're facing with your book is it's out there and, and it's out there. Um, it's out of your control. It's not your baby anymore. It's for other people to enjoy or not enjoy. And that's fine. That's yep. okay. So tell us real quick before we leave, um, I know you're a writer, so uh, nonfiction is not the only thing that we can see coming from you. So what what what's on the horizons, possibly, uh, possibly down the road for uh, fictional releases or what you'd like to do fictionalized?
1: Uh, so I have, um, I kind of went through a phase where I wrote um, a couple of short stories, like 20,000 words, just to get some ideas out of my head. Mm-hmm. And I've kind of settled on like one character. It's a female lead. Um okay by the name of Abigail Stevens Um, it's really hit home with me kind of, kind of like Haley chill a little bit, you know, Mm -hmm. not to, not to take anything away from Chris, but he really kind of, uh, you know, um, inspired me a little bit too. Um, And I want to do something a little different than the, you know, typical male, you know, protagonist type of thing so mm-hmm. um i've been working on some stuff of that and um i've been learning a lot reading books from you and a lot of other people and just studying um i think that's the big thing is yeah. is studying and finding out my voice and ideas and and, and flow and all that stuff because you're mm-hmm. going from one genre to the other the voice changes and all that stuff and absolutely um so i'm working on that i'm going to start to uh, you know send a you know, stuff like that out to like guys like you, and getting some thoughts, and just you know, kind of working at it, and um, you know, see where it goes. Hopefully, I'll be able to publish something like that in the next year or so, um, mm-hmm. with whoever it may be. You know, you never know what happens, but um, never yeah, never. that's that's what I want to do. I, I want to write some stuff like that, and I think I maybe want to do that more for me than anything else. Whereas, opposed sure. to this this book, I felt like I had an obligation to share some information. Right. Um, what I want to do would be um, to publish some of those and just have some fun with it.
0: Yeah. And, and there's nothing wrong with having fun with it. And so, um, I'll bring this one back up again, cause this is the uh, important truth to leave us on, uh, here are these truths. And the truth is the only way you get from point a to starting something to the completion, which is right here is you don't quit. You never quit. Very true. With that we're quitting. <laughs> <laughs>